Radio Influence. The future is now. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. I am your host, Vincent Hill. Today is Tuesday, April the 3rd, 2018. And man, this year is flying by. And I'm just back from Nassau, Bahamas. I got back yesterday, flew, uh, cruised back to Fort La- or to Miami, rather, uh, flew out of Fort Lauderdale. And I don't know what it is about the Atlanta airport, but it never fails, no matter which airport I'm flying out of. Whenever I fly into Atlanta, especially on Southwest, which is what I did going down and coming back from Florida, the flight was delayed three or four times. It never fails. Anytime I'm flying back to Atlanta, my flight gets delayed. It's very rare that uh, I can get to the airport, get on the plane at the exact time it's supposed to depart, and fly back to Atlanta. I got to the airport about 8.30 yesterday morning. The flight was scheduled for 12.55, then it turned to 1.45, then 1.55, and we finally took off about 2.30 Uh, in the afternoon, which put me in the heart of Atlanta traffic when I got back. Now, granted, I took Uber, uh, but still, it's Atlanta traffic. So I don't know, you know, if taking Uber makes it any less bearable than having to drive in it. It was still traffic. I still hate traffic, whether I'm driving or whether I'm the passenger. But at any rate, my son and I, we headed out to Nassau, Bahamas this past Friday. We spent the night in Nassau. Uh, sad part is I've been there so many times I really didn't get out and go see the city and, you know, stay overnight off the ship and all that other stuff. Uh, you know, my son and I went kayaking, uh, one of the little excursions. We went kayaking. There's a snorkeling piece to that, but the water was a little chilly, so we decided to just kayak the entire time. And, you know, something happened to me for the very first time in my life, uh, and it surprised me, me being African-American, if you will, that I actually got sunburned. And I woke up uh, yesterday morning and my my head, my forehead was just itching really, really bad. And I started scratching it and I could just see literally flakes of skin falling off my forehead. And I was like, holy crap, I've got sunburn, I think, for the very first time in my life. And I guess that has to do with age. You know, I'm not getting any younger I'm a lot closer to 50 than I am to 40, so I guess that had a lot to do with it. But my son and I had a great time. We got back. He actually flew directly from Florida to Nashville. His flight was on time because it's still his spring break. He goes back to school uh, this coming Monday. So he's down in Nashville, Tennessee, hanging out with his mom, my ex-wife. Uh, and speaking of ex-wives and speaking of wives in general in in policing, I want to talk briefly about a story uh, pretty close to home in Statesboro, Georgia, uh, where an off-duty officer was killed uh, by his wife, who then turned the gun on herself uh, as officers approached and attempted to uh, enter the home. So it was a murder-suicide in Statesboro, Georgia. Uh, this deputy had been on or this officer had been on the department since 2013. And surprisingly, it says, according to reports, he had just married his wife uh, 
on February 14th of this year. So on Valentine's Day of this year, they got married. And here we are less than a month uh, from that, uh, that something happened in that home where she shot him multiple times and decided to turn the gun on herself. Now, I'm going to get really personal here and. I don't know if my ex-wife, well, no, scratch that. I know my ex-wife, <laughs> my son's mom, doesn't listen to this show. I was married to her while I was on the police department. But even if she does, I'm not saying anything that she would not agree with. Um, you know, because we're well past that stage in our life. Now, what I do want to talk about is, you know, was there some mental health issues going on with this wife? We don't know. We don't know her history. Uh, you know, we don't know how long they've been dating. We don't know that. Um, but you know, when you, when you escalate to shooting someone multiple times and then turning the gun on yourself, something had to be wrong there. Uh, whether it's mentally, whether there was something going on in that relationship, whether she found out he was cheating, I don't know. Uh, but what I, I do want to talk about a problem that exists that a lot of people, especially in this profession, don't really talk about and that's domestic violence now a lot of people assume you know that as officers we're out arresting people for domestic violence and we know the laws and we know the effects we see the signs we see the symptoms we see the outcomes so we assume that when we go home to our spouses that it doesn't occur there well i can speak from personal experience that it does now my wife, my ex-wife at the time, and I told her for years and years and years that she was bipolar. And one of the things she would like to do, especially when she would drink, because that's one of the signs of being bipolar. One of the things she'd like to do is to become physical. She would hit. She would throw things. She would kick. Now, whether you blame it on her condition of bipolar, which she wasn't diagnosed at the time, she got diagnosed well after we separated, whether you blame it on that or not, that is still by law domestic violence. And at the time, I was a law enforcement officer. But it's one of those things you keep quiet. Now, there was one incident where fellows I work with actually came to the house because there was a call made. Uh, and luckily for me, one of the guys that showed up I'd worked with for years before he became a domestic violence detective. And there were some accusations that I had done something. And Mike actually said, she, he said, now, Mrs. Hill, I've known Vince for years. I've seen Vince on the street not grown men out, and I'm not bragging on that, but sometimes you have to use force, and sometimes you want to use the amount of force that's going to get the best result without permanent injury and without killing someone. But he says, I've seen Vince not grown men out, and if you're saying Vince did this, I should see signs, symptoms, bruises, i.e., of this. So, you know, luckily it wasn't believed, but at the same time, while they were there, I'm in the dark hiding my busted lip that I had received from her. Now, this is not the basher. We, like I said, we've moved on from that. We're much better people now that we're separated and divorced and we've had a chance to grow and heal. 
But my only point is this, that domestic violence happens in the lives of police officers, and it's not talked about. It's not talked about for several reasons. There's the Lautenberg Amendment, where if you're convicted of domestic violence, you cannot carry a firearm, which means if you're a police officer, you can't carry a firearm. You cannot do the duties of a police officer. So that's one reason it's not talked about. The other reason, the bigger reason is a lot of dudes who are masculine manly and yeah, I took this person to jail. I did this. This person ran from me, but I caught him. Blase, blase. Don't want to look like punks to the guys that they work with to say, oh, your wife beat you. Ha ha ha. Sure. She did. I've seen you do this on the street. Sure. She did. It's embarrassing. And it could cause you to lose your job. And think about this. You know, as I was watching something the other day, I can't remember what it was and where I was watching it. Uh, Trust me, I did a lot of drinking on the cruise this past week. So stuff's running together. But I was watching something. It was about domestic violence, and it was all about women who had been abused by their spouses. And I'm not taking away anything from any victim of domestic violence, but the part that I didn't like, the part that I didn't agree with, the part that made me mad was they weren't talking about men who are abused by women. And it happens every day in this country. And people laugh at it. People don't believe it, but I've seen it personally. I've personally, personally have been on the receiving end of it. Yes, I've been kicked. I've been punched. I've had my lip busted. I have a scar on my hand to this day due to a pair of scissors during an incident with my ex-wife. So, yes, it happens. So this officer in Stateboro could have been a domestic situation. Now, granted, yes, they were only married for less than a month, but we don't know how long they dated. So we don't know the history of that relationship. So there could have been domestic violence issues going on in that home for a long time that never got reported because he didn't want to look like a punk. He didn't want to possibly lose his job. She didn't want him to lose his job, so she didn't report it. All of those things. Okay, so take domestic violence into it, right? Now, Joe Blow that works at Office Max, if he gets arrested for domestic violence, his company doesn't care. As long as Joe Blow makes his bail, makes his bond, goes to work, that arrest does not affect his employment. Most companies, when they're doing background checks, they're looking for felony offenses, i.e. drugs, embezzlement, fraud, things of that nature. Domestic violence is a misdemeanor offense. So Joe Blow that works at Office Max, he gets arrested for domestic violence. He misses a few days of work. He tells his manager, oh, I missed a few days of work. Cool. Don't do it again. But for a police officer, he gets arrested for domestic violence. He gets charged, convicted for domestic violence. His career, not only in that department, but in any department, is O-V-E-R. It's over because you lose your post-certification. And without that post-certification, you can't become a police officer anywhere. The minute they revoke your post 
certification for any department. It follows you everywhere. So there's a reason why this is not being reported, especially in the police world. And it's sad because, trust me, it happens. There's a lot of things that happen in police lives that happen in everyone's lives because the one thing about police, before they were a police officer, they were a man. Before they were a police officer, they were a woman. They had these things called emotions. They had these things called affairs. They had these things called whatever. It happens. So it's it's sad that for whatever reason, this officer in Statesboro, Georgia, lost his life. If I had to speculate, if I had to guess, I would say it had something to do with the domestic violence incident. Because that's the only thing I can think of that would make someone shoot you that many times, multiple times, and then kill themselves. So for argument's sake, let's say it was she found out he was having an affair. She didn't just get the gun and start shooting him. There was an argument that escalated. It probably got physical at one point. And maybe he defended himself and she didn't like that. And she went and got the gun and killed him. We don't know. He's not here to tell that story. She's not here to tell that story. Only time will tell in the investigation because just because both parties are dead doesn't mean this department is not investigating. Of course, they're investigating. They want to know what happened to one of their own officers. And they still have to investigate this as a crime and a suicide. So they have no option but to investigate it. But if I had to say one thing to any officer that is listening right now, don't make the same mistakes I did. Don't keep that stuff in. I understand. Yes, you don't want to lose your job. Yes, you don't want to look like a punk. But ask yourself, male or female officer, ask yourself, do you really want to be a victim? Because our job is to go save victims. So who's saving us if we keep this quiet? Who's protecting and serving us if we keep domestic violence quiet? We need to speak up about it. It happens. It goes on. And it could be, it could very well be a silent killer. All right, I want to switch gears and I want to talk about Baton Rouge and the latest developments there. But before I talk about that, I want to talk about something that I actually enjoy, especially when I'm looking for good deals on things, uh, you know, whether it's electronics, whether it's travel, whether it's automobile parts. I'm always looking for, you know, the very best sale. Right. And, you know, even when I go to Best Buy, like I've bought plenty of TVs that have been what do you call open box items because I know it's going to be on sale. And why should I pay full price for something I can get on sale? Rugged Depot is kicking off their spring inventory blowout sale. Call 833-RUGGED3 to save thousands of dollars when you upgrade your mobile data terminals. Rugged Depot has FZ-M1 in stock starting at $1,100. The FZ-M1 is a 7-inch fully rugged touchpad that is perfect for ticket writing, in-car computing, 
and report writing. And I tell you, when I was in patrol, the two things I hated most were writing tickets and writing reports because it was all handwritten. Now you can do this at the touch of a finger inside your car. If tablets aren't your style, but saving money is, Rugged Depot has the CF-53 light models starting at $13.99. The CF-53 has been the most popular computer for law enforcement agencies for the past five years. This is your chance to upgrade your fleet and get the most out of your budget. Not only does Rugged Depot have the best prices on tough books, they have them in stock and ready to ship. No more waiting four to six weeks. Call 833-RUGGED3 and have your order shipped today. That number again is 833-RUGGED3 or go to ruggeddepot.com and type badge in the chat box. All right, I got to go back out to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And last week I talked about how the uh, attorney general in Louisiana decided not to bring charges against the two officers involved in the shooting and killing of Alton Sterling. More specifically, uh, one officer, the officer that did the uh, shooting, uh, Blaine Salamani, no charges were brought against those officers. Well, in a very, what I consider, unprecedented decision, the Baton Rouge uh, police chief, Murphy Paul, has fired Blaine Salamani uh, and has suspended the other officer, uh, Huey Lake, the second, who was involved in this deadly conversation or confrontation, I should say. Now, according to the police chief, it had nothing to do with politics. And I'm going to read a quote from him based on his press conference. My decision was not based on politics. It was not based on emotions. It was based on the facts of the case. Now, the facts of the case, according to the police chief, and I'll get into why I think it was based on politics. The the, the facts of the case, according to the police chief, is uh, he violated department policies on the use of force and command of temper. Well, I've never heard a policy on command of temper. I don't recall that when I was patrolling. I do recall the use of force policy and the use of force continuum that I recall, but I, I watched the the latest video that was actually released, not from the cell phone, but from a surveillance camera outside of the gas station where this occurred. And I watched it and I watched it and I watched it and I watched it. And you can see officers attempt to arrest Alton Sterling. You can see him active, actively resisting. The officers retreat for a second, not retreat. They get off Alton. One pulls out what appears to be a taser. I believe it was a gun. Uh, The other officer tackles Alton Sterling. They wrestle with Alton Sterling. You can still see the active resistance by Alton Sterling. You can hear gun, gun, gun. You see and hear the shots fired. In this video, you can see Alton kind of clenching his chest where he had been shot and he's moaning. You could see that. And then you see the officer who didn't do the shooting reach in Alton Sterling's front pocket and recover a 38 pistol, which he lays on top of the car that was uh, near where the struggle incurred. So again, in my mind, it was a clean shoot. They did not walk up to Alton Sterling. They did not just shoot him 
sight unseen. And in my mind, and I'm sure in a lot of minds of a lot of police officers, that was in line with the use of force policy because the use of force policy says you can use deadly force if you're met with deadly force. And when the officer said gun, 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 and the fact that Alton Sterling was actively resisting and could have reached said gun, 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 the officer can articulate that he was met with a deadly force situation. He wasn't yelling bubblegum, bubblegum, bubblegum. He wasn't yelling gum, gum, gum. He was yelling gun, 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 which is a deadly force situation. So I assume the command of temper policy, and if this department has one, they're going to just start firing off officers left and right, I assure you. So I assume that the command of temper policy was violated because the officer was yelling offensive words, cuss words, to Alton Sterling and saying he was going to shoot him and shoot him in the effing head, blah, blah, blah. Well, maybe he did say that. Obviously, he did because it was captured on on body cam. The thing of the, the the fact of the matter is this, right? When in the chief who didn't make chief by just joining the police department yesterday and getting promoted to chief today, I assure you the chief has used bad words against a suspect. Any officer, any officer that has been in those split second spur of the moment, oh shit moments, trust me, have used bad words to a suspect. Do you know how many times I've told a suspect, excuse my French, show me your fucking hands, don't fucking move, get on the fucking ground? That's emotion. Remember what I said earlier when I was talking about domestic violence and policing? That's emotion. And sometimes, believe it or not, that's the only way people respond. They don't respond to sometimes, sir, for my safety and yours. Will you please get on the ground, sir? Thank you very much. Sometimes you need to tell a bad guy, get on the fucking grounds. Show me your fucking hands to get them to understand, to get them to comprehend and to get them to know that you are dead serious about affecting your arrest. So you you mean to tell me, Chief Paul, that you say you, you fired this officer. It wasn't for politics it wasn't for this it was because he violated the command or what, what hold on what was it the command of temper policy well let me ask this then if it wasn't for politics i.e. appeasing the black community in Baton Rouge because the DOJ didn't prosecute the attorney general didn't prosecute and now all of a sudden people are mad again and it's making national news again. If you didn't do it for politics and you did it because of this BS command of temper policy, why didn't you fire him back in 2016? Because it's 2018 now. Why was he on paid administrative leave? Because you had the same body cam footage in 2016 that you have now in 2018. His language on that body cam footage didn't change. Nor should it have surprised you in 2018 that he used the F word during his altercation with Alton Sterling. So if it wasn't for politics, 
if it wasn't to appease the community, what was it for? Because he should have been fired. If he violated that policy in 2016, he should have been fired for it then. And that's if it's a fireable offense, because the one thing I know, I've been written up once or twice while I was on the police department, you know, because I was a high speed officer that did high speed stuff. Sometimes your bosses don't like that. They write you up for it because you violated some type of policy. But the one thing I know most 99 percent of those policies aren't automatic fireable Offenses. You may get suspended like the other officer did, but they're not automatic fireable offenses. So now why are we two years into it that it goes from, oh, you could get suspended for this to you're fired for this, but have the audacity to say in a press conference that it wasn't due to politics. I disagree with this chief. It was due to politics. It was due to the fact that you, Chief, didn't want people asking for your resignation. That's exactly what it had to do with. Because if the offense was there two years ago, the offense should have been handled two years ago. Regardless of the shooting, if he violated policy then, it should have been dealt with right then. Point blank, period. So now this officer is probably scarred for life because he's fired for a clean shoot. And if you don't believe me, YouTube it. Watch the surveillance footage from the store. It was a clean shoot. He's scarred for life because what's going to happen now that Chief is going to either A, try to revoke his post, or B, even if he goes to another department, who do you think is going to hire him? So now his livelihood has been messed up. And let me quote from former President Barack Obama. Instead of saying the world should feel the pain of Alton Sterling's family, the world should feel the pain of Officer Blaine Salamani's family because doing his job, what he was given order to do, protecting and serving and to combat crime, doing his job got him fired. Now his livelihood is messed up. Now his family can't eat. So America should feel the pain of Officer Blaine Salamani's family. That's whose pain they should feel. Now, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Alton Sterling had a long criminal history. Alton Sterling was resisting arrest that night. What would have saved Alton Sterling was compliance with those officers. So for me, again, yes, someone lost a son. Someone lost a father. But for me... I can't feel sympathy for you. I can't feel your pain because you didn't do what you were supposed to do when given a lawful order by a police officer. But whose pain I can feel is this officer who was fired on some BS, in my opinion, a command of temper policy. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, there should be a million people fired tomorrow. A million people that lose their temper on their jobs every day. They should be fired immediately. That chief, if you go back to his file, I assure you, he's used an epithet to, or should I say an explicit to, a suspect on the street. Is he fired? No. He's chief of police. How about somebody would have fired him for a command of temper 
policy to appease a certain community. Huh. Something to think about. You know who I also feel pain for, and I think I'm going to do a little something different for tonight's 10-7 segment. You know, I, I feel the pain of not only that officer's family, but the 12 officers who were killed in Baton Rouge by gunfire, which means a suspect killed 12 officers in the city of Baton Rouge. And do you think they were worried about a command of temper policy? Do you think they were worried about using a bad word when they were killing the officers? No, they don't. And I think of two in particular who died on the same day, July 17th, 2016, which was a Sunday. I remember it. You may remember it. It was Corporal uh, Montrell Jackson and police officer Matthew Lane Gerald. And they died at the hands of someone who was upset that Alton Sterling was killed by white police officers. Now, what's ironic about this is Corporal Montrell Jackson, if you couldn't tell, is African-American, but yet he was out protecting and serving and running to danger. So when I hear my first black president at a funeral for five dead officers say America should feel the pain of Alton Sterling's family, but not mention this officer, Corporal Montrell Jackson or police officer Matthew Lane Gerald made me sick to my stomach. So this is my plea to America. I want every red blooded American to feel the pain of the family members of each officer that has been killed in the line of duty. And the number this year just keeps rising and rising and rising and no one's protesting about it. There's some people that look like me that were police officers that have been killed. There are some people who look like Alton Sterling, who look like Michael Brown, who look like Freddie Gray. They were police officers. They were killed in the line of duty and no one's saying anything about it. So America, I ask you to feel the pain of the family members left behind as they sent their loved one out the door to do what they swore to do, protect and serve. I want to thank you for listening as always. And I'll see you next week right here. Same time, same station, radioinfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. This is an In the Trenches with Ian Beckles. Quick fix on Radio Influence. I played against Deion Sanders, and I would say that's the case for anybody on the earth ever. Other than Deion Sanders. Yeah. Okay. He was that good. I'll tell him to switch the analogy. He then. was that good. He was that good. Well. I'm not an old, but I, when I watch film, I, I love giving this analogy. Like, John Gruden never really talked good about anybody. Never. Like, he, like he, he 
we played the Giants one game, and he disrobed Jason Seahorn. He goes, <laughs> he goes, he can't cover me. We're gonna go after him all day, and we did, and we crushed Jason Seahorn. He, I think it was a year after he made the Pro Bowl. I'm telling you, you couldn't cover nobody on film. I'm telling you. Then we played the Atlanta Falcons. And John Gruden walked up, and he had a big screen up there, and he put the defense on, and he put a box over from the nose guard over, and he goes, we won't throw the ball here. <laughs> and I was like, what? He goes, we are not going to throw the ball on this side of the ball. I was like, we're not going to throw on the whole left side of the field. He goes, and I didn't ask him, but we're not throwing it here. So our whole game plan was to throw it right. We did not, with Bobby Hoying as quarterback, we did not throw it left at all. Because if, if Deion Sanders was 15 yards from the ball, it's interception, I'm telling you. that You should watch on film, <laughs> dude, he, he would be in dude's pocket all game long. And then Gruden goes, watch this play. And he goes, look at him. And he, he, he stops it. And the whole game, they didn't go to Deion's way. So before the snap, he's on his knee. He's on his knee. Deion Sanders is? Yeah. So he's like, he, he's goading you to throw the ball over there. Yeah. And then he would do this. He would let the receiver be open. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Till you let that ball go, and then you would see us. And I was like, yep. God damn. And then he got interception. We played in, like, I think Fulton County, some, one of the old stadiums. He got interception, and I was known to get tackles. I got a bunch of tackles every year. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was a defensive player growing up, and I saw him, and he was 70 yards away. And I go, I'm going to get this son of a bitch. So I take a quick look around, swivel, and then I start running. Then I look up, and he's already high-stepping, and, and with his hand behind his head, and I go, he just moves 60 yards in one second. Yeah. I've never seen a player that fast. In the Trenches with Ian Beckles can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.